last uh, passage we looked at, we've been looking at for the year, the book of Zechariah, as has already been said, the prophet of the book of Zechariah. We come to this last chapter, the last chapter. And the title that was given to me tonight is The Second Coming of Christ and the Millennial Kingdom. The Second Coming of Christ and the Millennial Kingdom. So we come this evening to the close of our studies and we look at those, this final chapter and really it goes on to really look at the close of this current age. As we look at this chapter, I think in this world there are two categories of people. People can be classed into two categories. We see it in many ways, don't we? Male and female, Jew and Gentile, sheep and the goats. But I would like to suggest if we look at this passage tonight, we look at two groups of people, a half glass full and a, half glass, a glass half empty. Some have that optimistic view in life. They look towards the end, they see the best in the life to come. And some have that pessimistic view in life. That things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And there is no good thing coming to the end of life. But here we come to a chapter where I think sometimes perhaps the bit, there's a bit of blur between these two. If you look at the opening of the chapter and stop there at the first two verses, it looks very bleak. The future looks very bleak. Especially perhaps for the children of Israel, it looks very bleak. But as we read for the whole of the chapter, how we see indeed, it opens up. The world and all that happens changes. And as true has been said in the past, the best is really yet to come. The best is yet to come. As we look at this chapter, we see as we start off there, the gathering of the nations. The nations are gathering together. They're coming together at Jerusalem in all that attack against that city, the city of Jerusalem. And this is really what has been the ultimate aim, the aim of nations for many, many years now, to eradicate the children of Israel, to eradicate the Jew from the face of the earth. A desire perhaps we see in this very day in which we stand. There are those in that Middle East there who love to see Israel taken out of this picture, Israel taken out of the view, Israel removed from the face of the earth. As we read these chapters here, these verses here, we see indeed the city is indeed taken. The city is ravaged. But then we see the Lord. We see the Lord Jesus Christ coming in all his glory and delivering the city as he goes forth in war against those nations. And in this, he will establish his kingdom. A kingdom those blind Jews looked for many years ago but didn't see. A kingdom of repentance, of righteousness rather, a kingdom of peace, and a kingdom that will bring changes to this world of ours, vast changes, which is the changes spoken of in this chapter. It's a kingdom of righteousness that will be set up. It is a kingdom of peace which will be set up. And it's something the world has never known, never known since the days of the Garden of Eden, righteousness and peace. There too will be changes physically and geographically to the land. We'll see that as we go through this chapter. But we'll also see that the worship of God, there will be the true worship of God by the people and the nations will be changed as God is worshipped in a manner that he should be and ought to be worshipped. As we look at the close of that chapter, you'll be reminded there's no chapter divisions in the original history, in the original scriptures. But as we look at the close of the previous chapter, chapter 13 there, we see those last three verses. And those last three verses tell us, or particularly the last verse, really the last sentence, the last verse, and I, my people, 
they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God this is the words of God's chosen people they will call upon him they will call upon his name and as with all who call upon him in sincerity he will hear them and in hearing of them he will say is my people it is my people and they will say the children of Israel will say the people of God they say and cry one voice Jehovah is my God so as we send, enter into this 14th chapter and it's probably the first few verses of this chapter are by an amplification or an explanation of those last three verses or the previous chapters that have gone before us. Often the case in prophecy, the prophet will, in, will introduce a subject and then he'll go on to amplify, emphasize, emphasize rather, and expand on that initial prophecy. And so this chapter 14 is really expansion upon some of those chapters that have gone before in Zechariah. Zechariah opens up the chapter and he references first off, Behold the day of the Lord. It points us to a day, a day, a day in history, a day which is known only to the Lord himself, a day that is known only to Jehovah. Some of us think that this day of the Lord is a period between the ascension of Christ into heaven after his resurrection and then his return to earth as we see in this passage here. And indeed perhaps that may be true in some sort of sense for we do live in that day of grace. We do live in the day when the Lord extends his hand of grace to sinful men. It's a gospel age. It's perhaps the day of the Lord, but it's not. It's a particular day. This talks of a particular day. A definite day that is known only to God. A day appointed by him when he will manifest his glory in the appearance of his son. And it will truly be a supreme display of power. A supreme dis display of his might. A supreme dis display of his glory. But here we see as day opens up with the Lord gathering all the nation together against his beloved city Jerusalem. Behold the day of the Lord cometh and I spoil shall be divided misery for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. If we turn to the prophet Joel and we return to Joel quite some in this tonight sometimes and also to Isaiah and other prophecies that emphasise these facts too. Turn to prophet Joel and you'll see there in chapter 2 and verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet of Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord cometh for it is nigh at hand a day of darkness and of gloominess a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever like it, neither shall be any more like it, even to the years of many generations. So we see here, Joel, he speaks about it. Turn to the next chapter, chapter 3, and verses 9 down to 17. Proclaim ye this, some of the Gentiles, prepare war. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause I mighty ones come down, O Lord. And so it says there, it goes on, that there they will come against Jerusalem. And then in verse 16, we'll come a little bit later perhaps, the Lord also shall roar out Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. 
and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of his children Israel. There we see more detail of that day. A day when the Lord will show to all the world that he is sovereign in all things. It's the time that Jeremiah spoke of. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. A time when the whole world, as it were, Antichrist and the whole world, comes against the land of Israel. It's a time in these verses that the Lord will go forth and he, and he alone, will have the victory over the enemy. In Joshua chapter 10, if we turn back to Joshua chapter 10, we see another time that is perhaps foreshadowed by this. In Joshua chapter 10, and the verse 14 there it says there, and there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. We look at that Joshua passage perhaps a bit more later on, but there we see there, that is another day in history when the Lord fought for Israel, came out and fought for them. It was a day not like it. A day when they come there, in a greater sense, this day, this day of the Lord will be greater. Nor will be they like it for the nations to see God as a God of war, a man of war. You remember Moses when he sang his song after the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, and the verse 3 there, he started off there, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will repair him in habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And then Moses says there, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So we see here, In Zechariah 14, we're coming out of verse 3 now, the Lord will go forth and he will fight against those nations. And he is that man of war. These first three verses here show us the mindset of the nations against Israel. Oh, we see it, I've mentioned already, in our own generation. But it has been through all time the enmity of man against the people of God because they are the people of God. We saw it in Bible days, we've not. Go back in history into Bible days and you'll see the days of the Medes and the Persians. How Haman, oh wicked Haman, the Agagite, how he sought to erase the children of Israel, the Jews from the earth. We've seen more recent history in our own generation almost like you know. Hitler, he sought to do the same thing when he has that time of power in Germany. And as I've said before, just recently, we see our own generation with the Palestinians funded by the Iranians seeking to destroy the very name of Israel seem to take them out of the face of the earth. But here it is here. The Lord gathers the nations so again. That same desire. That desire is almost accomplished. As we said there in verse 13, look back in verse 13. The two thirds are destroyed. And it shall come to pass in verse 8 to 13. That in all the lands of the Lord, two parts shall then be cut off and die. But the third shall be left therein. So the enemy how it seeks to destroy the name of Israel. How it seeks to destroy the people of God. And that begins in the day of the Lord. But then in verse 3, we see that change in the wind, as it were. Then shall the Lord go forth. And he will fight against those nations, as when he fought 
in the day of battle. Jehovah himself shall go forth and he will fight against those nations, against the heathen, against the Gentiles, against those who come up against his loved city, Jerusalem. When Moses spoke to the Israelites in the wilderness, he told them they were chosen of God, not for their might, not for their largeness, for not how big they were, but they were chosen of God because God loved them. And here again, as through history, Israel have never been a big nation. They've never been a large nation. They've never really been a mighty nation. Although it might be said they have been very astute in war and have managed to get through by their astuteness in war. But their perseverance all through history has been because Jehovah has loved them. Jehovah has loved them with everlasting love. An everlasting love that can never, ever be broken. Or oh, some people think it might be broken. Some people think he's cast Israel off forever and ever and a day. And perhaps next year, as we look through Romans, we will see that God hath not cast off his people. He loves them still with everlasting love. And here in verse 3, he goes forth for his people. With that purpose to bring them back from their wandering and from being a scattered nation. To being a people who will worship him. To be a people who will serve him without right minds, without right hearts. And so we read here that he will fight for them as he fought for them in the day of battle. We thought that it's already this day of battle. We turned out passion Joshua, we spoke about him. Jehovah fought for his people against the kings of Canaan. It could also be said he fought for them in the day of battle at the Red Sea. And how we see there at the Red Sea, he destroyed Pharaoh. And all his armies. And he delivered his people. Nothing of man. Moses said look and see. Stand and see the deliverance of God. And they stood and saw how God delivered them. It was his battle. And he won. And he brought his eyes back through the Red Sea. It also means that their battle about Joshua. When he went out to fight against the Amalekites. And there in the Amalekites we read there how when Moses prayed unto God. Israel were winning. And when by reason of weakness his arms failed, his prayers failed, so Amalek then prevailed. But Aaron and Hur were there, there to help him. So we see there, as he fought against the Amalekites, it was the day of the Lord, as he fought in the day of battle. And here we see here, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Jesus, he will go forth for his people. If we turn to Revelation chapter 11, we see the Asian apostle John has a vision of such a day as this. We won't read the whole portion, but it's in Revelation chapter 11, verses 11 down to verse 21. And after three and a half, and after three days and a half, the Spirit of the Lord from God entered into them. They stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon them. Verse 15 is really the verse I want to look at, really. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were a great voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so John there, on the Isle of Patmos, having that vision, he saw that time looking forward when the Lord Jesus Christ would come forth, as it says here, fight their battle, and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God's. We then come to the next verse, in verse 4. And there we see the place that the Lord will come upon this earth. The very place is given to us where his feet 
shall stand. For his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. And his feet, Zechariah says, shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great, very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove to the north. And half of it shall remove or toward the south. His feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. If we turn to Acts chapter 1, we know that passage that we're going to turn to, Acts chapter 1, which is where we see the Lord Jesus Christ ascending back up into heaven. He's leaving this earthly scene and he takes his disciples there to that Mount of Olives, that same Mount of Olives. It's the time his crucifixion has gone. His resurrection has passed. And now it comes a time of his ascension for him to return to the right hand of the Father on high. His work on this earth had been completed for the time being. And he goes with his beloved disciples to that Olivet Mount. And there it is, he's taken from their sight. You'll see it there in verse 11, or verse 10 rather. And while they looked steadily toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen go. Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. They returned back into Jerusalem. All the time has gone. And so he returns and he's gone back into heaven. And he goes there up into heaven. He's taken their sight. And the angels come down into the knot. And they say to those disciples there, they should not be. Should not, not be looking up to heaven, waiting for them to come down. If you go to the Mount of Olives today, you will see it's a very large cemetery. People have been buried in the Mount of Olives. Because the Jewish writers state that this is where Messiah will come. And here the resurrection of the dead will begin. Oh, it is true that as he left the Mount, which is in his lifetime, was one of those favourite places that Jesus loved to go to. So he returned there in power and in great glory. Oh, the disciples, they were told not to gaze up, but to return to Jerusalem and await the word from God that he would come, to, that he would come and not stand on the Mount as they witnessed him go. And so we see then as we look through that chapter, that verse there, there will be great physical changes too. Great physical changes chapter into the earth for the mount shall cleave in the middle causing a valley to be formed in the middle running from the east to the west one half of the mountain moves to the north and the other half of the mountain moves to the south creating that valley and if you read on through verse 5 there you'll see that, that valley there is the remaining Jews to flee to from the advancing armies and to hide in the valley oh this gives a picture again going back to the Red Sea and how God delivered his people from the Pharaoh and his army at the Red Sea. And he clave that pathway through the middle of the Red Sea, that wall of water on either side. But as we said, it's for those that remain for to plead to, for they have a fear of those approaching, those approaching armies, those armies of the Antichrist. They come to Jerusalem there, coming to Jerusalem. But it's also, it says here, a fear for the glory of God. The glory of God, the majesty, as God appears in all his majesty. That will cause them to fear too, as God appears. Paul writing talks about how fearful the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ will be. We turn to 2 Thessalonians. Two Thessalonians chapter 2. And you'll see there in verse 8 there. And 
Then shall that wicked one be revealed. He's talking about Antichrist here. Who the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Oh how Paul tells us there when writing to the Thessalonians. How the brightness of his coming will destroy that wicked one. Will destroy the man of sin. And if it destroys him. How much fear it must put in the hearts and the minds of those fleeing Jews as they are there in Jerusalem observing all this coming to pass. Zechariah then speaks a little bit there about that earthquake that happened in the times of Uzziah the king. Very little is known about this earthquake. It happens in the time of Uzziah the king. It's not mentioned in any other place in scripture apart from Amos 1 verse 1 where Amos starts to prophesy two years before the earthquake having the Uzziah the king um, but nothing's known but historical accounts given in scripture there's always comes across there archaeological evidence that will support and it's believed that there was evidence of disruption in the city of Jerusalem that occurred before the Babylonians came and took the city and destroyed the city but anyway Bible truth is Bible truth and it talks about the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king but the events of this day the day of the Lord will be at such a time and people will flee to the mountains for safety go to the mountains and try and find their safety in the mountains and so really this time the Lord will come and all the saints will come with him the glorious consummation of all time the time when King Jesus will come and set up and establish his kingdom upon this earth and his throne upon the throne of David in Jerusalem. The Saviour himself spoke of such a time when he was talking in Matthew 24 and 25. Matthew 24 and 25. We'll see in verse 30 he says there, he spoke about lots of events that have happened there, things that happened in nature, things that happened in the world there. In the middle of the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then in verse 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. Or oh, he'll come with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpets. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one of heaven to the other. Or oh, it'll be a time of great glory when our Saviour comes in this world. We've referred to Paul's writing when he wrote to the, third, the church in Thessalonians. Um, but turn back to 1 Thessalonians and you'll see in 1 Thessalonians he says more about, about this time in there. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16 the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first oh it'll be a great day when our Lord Jesus comes um, Revelation chapter 19 talks about this event as well Revelation chapter 19 and the verse 11. Um, I won't start verse 11, but I'll come down to 
can't see what Russell will look at in there, but there we are. I think it must be um, verses 11 down to verse 14. And the armies which are with him in heaven followed him upon his white horse. And there John tells us about the last trump. Oh, it's the last trump I was talk about. And I saw heaven open and the last trump when it was sounded and he came down. And we looked at Revelation 11 already, 11, 11 verse 15 there. And at this time there, the kings of the world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. The kingdoms of this world, those ones that array themselves, that the Lord has gathered together to fight against Jerusalem, they will become the kingdoms of our God. That is the kingdom of our God. That stone that Nebuchadnezzar saw, that Daniel gave the um, interpretation for in Daniel chapter 2, cut out the mountains. That stone that would destroy all those kingdoms, they will become the kingdom of our God. And this is a great time this is, when that trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul talks about this and writes to Corinthians. And how in Corinthians he said, in that great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 52, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. All this happens in a twinkling of an eye, as the Lord himself descends upon the Mount of Olives to come and deliver his ancient people, because he loves them with that everlasting love, that love which draws him to them and them to him. But these days, as we come on through this chapter here, this day there, not only a day of a great physical change we have seen, the mountain cleaving from the east to the west, but greater phenomena will be seen. When we read the account of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ there, we read a great darkness over the land. We've touched it as we've gone through. Various other prophets talk about great darkness. Joel talked about great darkness in the land. And here we see here that same gloom coming over. As we see there in verse Verse 6 there, and it shall come to pass in that day the light shall not be clear nor dark. There will be that gloom over the land, darkness as the time approaches. Indeed, it's a great time of physical darkness, but what a great time of spiritual darkness it is too. Great time of spiritual darkness over the whole world. We spoke to Joshua, and we saw in Joshua, in chapter 10 there in Joshua, how does that great miracle in the sun and the moon standing still in that day as the Lord fought for his people on that day? And here we see again, nature is disrupted as it prepares for the king of all nature to return to this world. And then we start to see the change. It's a day, as we've said, only known to God. Jesus told that clearly. Verse 8 tells us, or verse 9, 7 rather, but it shall be one day which be known unto the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at even time it shall be light. Jesus told us clearly in that passage in Matthew, chapter 24, is a day that is known only to God the Father. In verse 36 there, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. It's a day known only to the Father in heaven. But that doesn't take away our responsibility. Oh, how we have a responsibility. Yes, it's a day known only to God. And we don't know when that day is or when it's going to come, apart, come to pass. But we have a responsibility as God's people to be a people who are watching and waiting for such a day. To live our lives in the light of such a day. 
Jesus, in that same discourse in Matthew chapter 24, goes on in chapter 25, and he says in chapter 25 and the verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. It's a day that man does not know. God knows, and only God knows. Only God knows. Peter, if we turn to Peter, 2 Peter 2, no, 2 Peter 3 rather, he gives us that same sort of message that comes across there. 2 Peter chapter 3 and the verse 10 there. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are in shall be burned up. Seeing then, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens be on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. How he gives us that message there, Peter does, and other places too in his epistles, of watchfulness, being sober, and living in that right manner, living in the light of the coming of the Lord and the scriptures close with John closed up in Revelation 22 and he says there even so he's seen those things John has as he's on the Isle of Patmos the visions that go to Revelation and he comes to the end there and he which testifieth these things saith surely I come quickly Amen and John's prayer goes up even so come Lord Jesus, how we say that prayer in our mind, our hearts, even so, come, Lord Jesus, or if we are praying for him to come, we should at least be looking for him and living for him in such a way. So there's a responsibility. Yes, it's a day known only to the Lord, but a day that we should be looking for, and a day that we should be living for too, living in the light of it coming to pass. But whilst it is gloomy as the day approaches, so Zechariah in the next verse. He tells us, goes on there, it, it, it's gloomy, yes, it's a day of man. It's a time of the Gentiles, but there will be light in the evening time. It shall be light. And as we say there, the best now is starting to come. And it will come. For the glorious Son of Righteousness shall arise, and there will be healing in his wings and Zechariah expands on this theme and tells us that there will be going forth from Jerusalem in that day living waters oh it tells us there even time it shall be light and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out of Jerusalem half into all the former sea and half into all the hinder sea in summer and in winter shall it be all the year round there shall be those things rivers a river that maketh glad the people of God. How Psalm 46 there speaks about that. That Psalm, perhaps many of us know very well. And there in verse 4 there it says, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And Joel also in his prophecy, he too speaks of such a river. Chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. 
which is in the sun, moon shall be darkened, that between the gloom there and the stars shall wear the Lord of signing. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people, and the strength of his children Israel. Those wars go through, they will give strength to his people. And here we see again those great physical changes that Zechariah is speaking of, that will take place in the lands. We in our finite minds might find some of these things quite hard to understand, quite hard to grasp hold of. But a God who can create the earth, a God who can create all things by the word of his mouth, who can change physical structure of this world as he sends a flood, he too can bring about these changes as he returns in power and in glory. And so as a man of olives cleaves from north to south, that valley going from east to west, so we see here those rivers proceeding from Jerusalem to the east and to the west. To the west is that great sea. The great sea that it says there, the former sea, is the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea, to the west of Jerusalem. And then to the east is the Hinder Sea, or the Hinder Sea. And there we see the Dead Sea. And what a remarkable thing this is. Living waters flowing out from Jerusalem into the Dead Sea that make it then a living sea. No more a Dead Sea. Nowhere where nothing lives, all that goes there is dies. So there we see the Dead Sea becomes a living sea. And how we see there, do we know a picture of the sinner? Oh, how dead in sin we can be. It's only from those living waters that come from Lord Jesus Christ that we can ever know salvation. We can ever know peace in our lives. That eternal life that flows from the Saviour into our lives. But then is the day when Jesus will come, the Lord will come and destroy his enemies. He will destroy all his enemies. And he alone will be king. He alone will rule in the earth. Be king over all the earth. Zechariah goes on, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, there shall be one Lord and one name. Or it's a day when Satan will no longer use his craft and his guile to deceive the nations as he will be chained away in that bottomless pit oh we look at Revelation 19 but the following chapter Revelation 20 how that tells us the details of the end of the evil one oh the wicked one we see there he is chained in that bottomless pit Revelation 20 and I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little one. But then we go on verse 14 there, and we see his final destruction. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. Oh, the earth is covered with gods of plenty. Not just graven images of the heathen that we see all about us, but anything, anything that comes before God in the eyes and hearts of man is an affront to God. It's a God in the eyes of that heart, of that, in, his, in the eyes and heart of man. But in that glorious day there, oh, that day of the Lord, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. One Lord we set up. One king will be upon the throne. And his name will be one. The name the great I am. 
in the following six verses, we come down from verses 10, 11, 12, 13, we see there in 14 and 15 too, we see there the nations shelf more than the physical changes on the earth. We see the Mount Zion. We see more physical changes. Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem, we lift it up. It appears that the city we lifted up so all may be able to see it and be able to come unto it to worship the one Lord. We talk about the worship which come on through the, t- through the chapter. They were coming to worship the one Lord, the one God. Isaiah speaks of this. Isaiah chapter 2. And this is the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, Saul, and Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days, that day of the Lord, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go up and say, Come, you, let us go up to the house, of the, the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Israel, Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see there the, the changes. Jerusalem, it shall be lifted up, and inhabiting her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, from the tower of Hananiel unto the winepresser. Men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. All nations then shall flow unto it, as exalted above the hills. And it will be a city that is inhabited, and there will be no more utter destruction. It will be inhabited by the people of God as he establishes his kingdom. If you take a look at Jerusalem today, yes, it's inhabited. But the city is divided, divided between Jew and Arab. And there is that destruction. There is always that possibility, destruction in the city of Jerusalem. But oh, how we see there. No more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Oh, the children of Israel, the Jew, shall be able to dwell there and be safe. As we read at the start of the chapter, the Lord rises up against enemies. So we see here, as we go on through this chapter, verses 12, down a little bit there, his enemies shall be destroyed, utterly destroyed. Or those aren't destroyed in the warfare from verses Verse 3, when the Lord goes forth to battle, they will be destroyed by the plague. He will destroy them. The plague will consume them. Read that verse there. This shall be the plague where the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongue shall consume away in the mouth. Oh, how we see there. God will consume all those who are his enemies. And if that isn't enough there, verse 13 tells us, and it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. And they shall lay hold everyone on the hand of his neighbour, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbour. Oh, those who are there, they do not suffer the plague. They will rise up against each other and consume and kill each other. How that has often happened in time past. You're thinking of Jehoshaphat. If you're talking about the two chronicles. So at the two chronicles in the verse 22 there. And you'll see there that Jehoshaphat, 
He had the armies of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir come against him. And he prayed unto the Lord there. And there it says in verse 23, For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to destroy, slay, and destroy them. And when they made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Seir, everyone helped destroy another. So when Judah came out towards the wilderness, they looked upon the multitude, and behold, they were all dead bodies, fallen to the earth, and no one escaped. So God there, Hearing the prayer of Jehoshaphat to deliver them, he came down and delivered in such a way as we see here in verse 13, that he destroyed themselves. The tumult from the Lord came amongst them, and they destroyed themselves. And what happens to the men also happens to the animals too in verse 15. And so shall the plague of the horse, and of the mule, and the camel, and of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in the tents, the plague will consume and take them over. But Jude and Jerusalem, they will fight under the banner of the Lord. They will know Jehovah Nissi, and they will fight under the banner of the Lord. And verse 14, they're going back a verse there, they will be able to take of the riches of all those people who came down and sought so earnestly to destroy them, to wipe them from the plague of the earth, bring their gold, their silver, their apparel in great abundance. They will take hold of that and use it for their own good, use it to the worship of God. And so then comes this last part of the chapter, verse 16 down to the end. And that tells us something what life will be like in that millennial kingdom. That time when Jesus Christ is reigning in power and in glory from Jerusalem. <coughs> oh, we've touched here on tonight. But Revelation tells us those thousand years that the Lord Jesus Christ will reign in Jerusalem. When he will reign upon the throne of David there in Jerusalem. And turning back to that Isaiah passage, a passage I'd, I'd quite like reading through actually, Isaiah chapter 2. How we read there in Isaiah chapter 2, how he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. All we read earlier on did not about beating plowshares into swords and their spears into pruning hooks. We read about pruning hooks being made into spears. Nations shall lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. For they will be coming up to the house, the mountain of the Lord, to worship in the Lord's house. This will be that time of great prosperity, a time of great worship of our God. Go back in Zechariah, chapter, a few chapters. Chapter 8 in Zechariah, another passage that is very pleasant. Verse 18. And the word of the Lord of hosts can be saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness, and cheerful feasts. Therefore love the truth and peace. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass, that there shall come people, and inhabitants of many cities. And inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord, and to see the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days shall come to pass, that ten men shall take hold of all in languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him as a Jew, saying, We will go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Oh, what a blessed time that will be. 
And it shall come to pass there that everyone is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts of tabernacles. But verse, six, verse 17 rather, tells those who refuse to come up. It must be difficult to take in. But there will still be those in that millennial reign. There will still be those in that glorious reign of Christ who refuse to worship the one Lord. Who refuse to serve the God of hosts. Who refuse to reverence that one name we spoke about early on in the chapter. But there will be those who fall into this category. And there will be judgment. There will be judgment. And it shall be that whosoever will not come out of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them, there shall be no rain. Oh, look back in those curses that came in from Moses in Deuteronomy. How Moses there to the children of Israel. If you don't worship the Lord, then he will hold the rain. And how we saw through the days of Ahab, the rain was withheld for three and a half years. God's judgments are true and God holds to his words. And so Zechariah goes on, the son of Egypt go not up, they will have no rain. There shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that came up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Judgment is placed on God, no rain, and he will smite them of those who refuse to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You all know the Feast of Tabernacles. It's given to us in Leviticus chapter 23. And you'll see there, it was where the children of Israel came before the Lord once a year. It was the end of the year. The back end of the year, the crown of the year. It was the last of the feasts. And it was to give thanks to and to praise God for all his mercies as the giver and sustainer of life. There'll be those who don't come up to Jerusalem to give God the praise and the glory that is due to his name for eradicating sin and death, as it were, from the world, for bringing peace and righteousness. There'll be those who in that golden age will refuse to come and thank him, to refuse to give him the praise and the glory. They'll be destroyed and smitten before the Lord. If you look back in the uh, Leviticus chapters, you'll see there the Feast of Tabernacles is given to Israel after the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, that day when God done away with sin, as it were. And how we see it is that Day of the Lord, when God comes and does away with the devil, placing that bottomless pit, and then comes the Feast of Tabernacles, when men all over the world should give thanks to God for raising up such a kingdom of righteousness and of peace. And then we come to the close, the climax of the book. In that day shall there be bells on the horses, holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judea, Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more Canaanites in the house of the Lord. Lord, when we look at the history of Israel, we see the account is really they broke the covenant of Jehovah and walked in their own ways.
Oh, they failed God. They failed. And despite God continually holding out his hand to that gainsaying and rebellious people, they would not listen to his voice. But here we see a people. And it's holiness unto the Lord. All the pots. And so we saw, did we not? The nation failed. The kingdom was taken away from them. But we in the church cannot, with all honesty and all integrity, be judgmental of Israel. For so we see the church has, in a very large degree, turned away or departed from those things that was given to us so long ago. And only a remnant remained, just like a remnant remained in Israel. But here we see God's love. Oh, God's covenant. It's an everlasting love. It's an everlasting covenant. And oh, how we see, when we look at it next year, when we come to look at Romans, but in Romans chapter 11. Paul writing there, in verses 11 and 12, says there, I say then, had they stumbled, they should fall? God forbid. Oh, Paul says, yes, they stumbled. They won't fall, God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles. How we should be so glad. Perhaps Israel's fall, salvation, came to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy, provoke those Israel nations to jealousy. Now the fall of them be the riches of the world. And the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Oh, how much more their fullness? And how we see there in this passage here, every year, come to worship the Lord in Jerusalem, holiness unto the Lord. How much more their fullness. Oh, what great benefits are brought to the Gentiles. And so Zechariah closes his prophecy, his prophecy here. He tells us the pure worship of God that will be in that day. In that golden age yet to come. Oh, we often see such apostasy creeping to the church here. It crept into Israel of old. It's crept into the church year after year, time after time. But here we see here, there will be no more Canaanites in the house of the Lord of hosts. Nothing to bring evil. Nothing to bring apostles, as it were, into the house. It will be the pure worship of God. Never there. No ungodly man in the house of the Lord. Only those who come year to year to worship the King, worship the Lord of hosts, call upon him and to worship him at the Feast of Tabernacles. The psalmist says in Psalm 2, he speaks about the raging of man against God. And how we see at the start of this chapter, there was that raging of man against God. Against God and his people. Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cause from us. The psalmist says there, He that sits in the heavens, God who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Oh, man, man rises up against God, but God will have them in derision. He will defeat <coughs> their plans against him. He will defeat their plans against his people. And his people, as you read here in Zechariah, will serve him with fear and in trembling. And the book closes there, the psalm closes. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. 
We spoke first of him about those who have a, half, a glass half full and a glass half empty. Blessed are all they of a glass half full who put their trust in God, who put their trust in the Lord of hosts, who put their trust in Jehovah. And they know of a surety, the best is yet to come. Oh, Zechariah speaks in that start there. Behold thou, lords, all the nations gathering against Jerusalem. All the nations gathering against his people. And then the Lord shall go forth. And he will fight against those nations as when he fought against the enemies in the day of battle. Jehovah Jesus, our God will come. Our God will come all shorty. His feet will be placed upon a mount of olives. And he will defeat all the enemies. Not one will remain undefeated. And that millennial reign, that reign of Christ, where he sets up peace and righteousness upon this earth, all peoples will come to worship him at Jerusalem. The Jew, they take hold of his skirt. Let us go and worship with thee, because we know that God is with you. What a blessed time that would be. A time when his holiness unto the Lord in all our worship. Oh, we may seek to worship holy in this day and generation. But in that day, holiness unto the Lord. And the bells of the horses, the pots, everything, holiness unto the Lord. So shall we be those who are truly blessed, who put our trust in the Lord, who put our trust in a Jehovah who is coming again in power and in great glory. Put our trust in Jesus, who will come and defeat enemies and truly as we see through this chapter here, the best is yet to come. Amen.